everyone and welcome to the show. I'm Natalie Millersnell and you are listening to Seize the Day. Now, my guest today is an absolute legend and I'm so excited for the show. He helps people be a force of change and is best known for his book, The Coaching Habit, which has sold over a million copies, is absolutely brilliant. I highly recommend it. Thousands of five-star reviews online. And his latest book, How to Begin, which is equally brilliant, helps people be ambitious for themselves and for the world, finding their worthy goal, something that's thrilling, important, and daunting. He founded Box of Crayons, a learning and development company that helps organizations move from advice-driven to curiosity-led and has trained hundreds of thousands of managers to be more coach-like with their clients ranging from Microsoft to Gucci. He left Australia about 30 years ago to be a Rhodes Scholar at Oxford University, where I love this. His only significant achievement was falling in love with a Canadian, which is why he now lives in Toronto, having spent time in London and Boston. Balancing out this, and this is where it gets amazing, balancing out these moments of success, he was banned from his high school graduation for the balloon incident got to know about that, was sued by one of his law school professors for defamation. And your first published piece of writing was a harlequin romance-esque story involving a misdelivered letter called The Mail Delivery. Honestly, this is a life highlight for me having you on the show. Please put your hands together for the absolutely incredible Michael Bungay-Sania. Natalie, thank you. It's always good to talk to somebody with a complicated surname, and you and I both yes. have complicated surnames. So, amongst other things, we're united on that front. But th- thanks for thanks for the enthusiasm. I mean, it's a nice introduction, but I wrote it, so you know, yes. it helps. <laughs> but you know, you know, you're saying it with real meaning, and that was what really really sold it to everybody. Absolutely. Well, like I say, I'm totally thrilled that you're on the on the show today. I'm really. It's been a. It's one of those things. Well, I've wanted to have you on for absolutely ages. And one of the things which we'll come on to, you know, you talk about um, uh, in, in your book and your, uh, your talks and speeches about asking with the expectation that someone will say no. Yeah. And this was one of those things for me. I'd waited for ages and ages. And I was like, no, I've just got to go for it. So I'm, I'm thrilled that you're on with me. Thank you so much for joining. Uh, my pleasure. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm flattered to be in that position because I know there's been a few people in my life who I've reached out to, who I've looked up to. People like David Allen and Peter Block, and um, and you know they've said yes, and I was really not expecting them to say yes, and they it really made it. It meant something to me. So yeah, it's kind of cool to kind of somehow find myself in that position for other people. So thanks, Natalie. Oh no, you're totally welcome. Now I'm so keen to explore how your lived experience has informed and impacted how you coach, and actually how you're of service to others because it's really quite remarkable how generously you share. I mean, I really find that quite admirable. But in order for us to do that, I think we need to kind of rewind a bit. And there's a great bit of history there I've already mentioned, just touched on. <laughs> so I'd love to know a little bit about little Michael. Uh, you know, mm. and I recognize actually, perhaps, you know, people might be unfamiliar with you, although there's a probably maybe a handful. So a little bit more about your story <laughs> and what the journey- if By a handful, was- you mean 99.99% of the world, yeah. <laughs> Sure. <laughs> what was the journey like for you, you know, growing up in that experience? And what's the most important thing that happened in your life that's influenced who you are today? Perhaps the most significant learning or how have you changed? And please, you can start wherever you like to and wherever that takes you. Sure. Well, 
you know, if I, if you talk about what's the most significant thing that happened to me, I didn't really happen to me. It just happened around me, which was, I just had a really loving, stable, encouraging upbringing. Mm. You know, I had two great parents who I admired and who liked me and who did a good job at parenting. Um, I have two younger brothers who most of the time I liked and I do like now. And, you know, growing up, obviously, there's, there's you know, a little tension, particularly when you're a con- the eldest child like I am, so a little controlling and a little like, you will live by my rules sort of thing. But we got over that. Um, so, um, you know, I showed up wired to perform in some ways. Um, you know, my mom tells a story of me as a four-year-old going up to strangers in supermarkets going, hey, my name is Michael. I can hop. Would you like to see me hop? And honestly, that is pretty much what I still do for a living. I kind of go up to strangers and go, I'm Michael. I can hop. Do you want to see me hop? By the way, I'm going to charge you for watching me hop. Um, <laughs> but, you know, mum and dad were were different but also very aligned in terms of what they thought was important and how they lived their life um my dad in particular had a great inclination towards service he was very community oriented you know he spent his entire life volunteering for stuff whether that's volunteering for his local science education center or being on school boards for primary schools or being part of the development association for our local area he just kind of did all of that. Okay. Um, so, you know, I, I, I was a happy kid, a, a pretty smart kid, um, not super smart, but smart enough. And I had a great time in what well, in Australia we call primary school. And then I went on to high school and I met some great people there and had fun there. And I thrived in my high school um, and had a year off. And then uh, taught and, and lived in England for a year, then came back and did um, undergraduate studies in Canberra, my hometown, lived with three of my best friends, um, won a Rhodes Scholarship, which Amazing. was, you know, a, a, a key moment in terms yeah. of shaping my life. My, my dad was English and uh, he actually grew up in Oxford. His dad was a headmaster of a school in Oxford and you know, a, a teacher of mine in high school when I was 14 said, so what are you, what are you planning on doing after high school? And I was like, <laughs> I don't know. So I said, I, I, I'm going to, I plan to go to Oxford, you know, brackets like my dad. And he said, well, you well, gosh, okay. You'll need to win a Rhodes scholarship for that. And so I was like, okay, when age 14, I was like, I think I'll try and win a Rhodes scholarship. And then wow. somehow I did. Um, and then I met my wife at Oxford. And so we've been together for 30 years and, uh, the rest of it kind of unfolded from there. Finished okay. my, my master's degree at Oxford, got a job in the world of innovation and creativity. That was fun, but also frustrating because we never actually launched anything that was successful. So moved into trying to understand organizational change. And that took me from England to Boston, lived and worked in Boston for three years, moved to Toronto 20 years ago, had a job briefly before getting fired and set up my company, Box of Crayons. And, you know, Box of Crowns is, is a week away from celebrating its 20th birthday. So that's wow, pretty amazing. That's incredible. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah, thanks. That's really marvellous. And it, I mean, listening to that, th- there's a lot of change there in terms of direction as well. What is it that mm-hmm. you would consider is the biggest change in terms of where you started out and this, you know, the, the ambition with Oxford, with Father's Footsteps almost, and then, you know, moving into where you are now? 
you know, the, the thing that I would say is unexpected is that I'm an entrepreneur because my family is not a family of entrepreneurs, really, that my parents both worked in Canberra's, Canberra's the seat of government in Australia. And so my parents were both public servants. My two brothers are both public servants, work for the government. Um, their wives have been public servants and worked for the government. Um, my three of my four grandparents were teachers. So in some way worked for the government. Yeah. And so there's not really a role model for somebody starting his own business and growing businesses. And I'm as surprised as anybody that I'm a vaguely successful entrepreneur because I don't have some of the characteristics you expect of entrepreneurs. Like I'm not super driven by financial reward or stuff like that. But um, it just turned out that I got a few lucky breaks and a few role models and I got fired a few times, which just made me kind of start a business. And it turned out that I did okay with that. Yeah. And you talk a great deal. Something that really struck me in how to begin is you mentioned about owning your ambition and there's almost something about giving yourself yeah. permission to go for it. And I, I kind of feel yeah. like I'm hearing it there as well. So what was the, when did that happen for you? When did you really kind of own that entrepreneurship, that, that vision, that business owner and go for it? Well, um, one of the things that I got lucky with is a, um, kind of coming pre-wired with a great sense of self-belief and, right. um, yeah. I think I could say fairly that I've worked on that. You know, I've done, I've done my share of self-development and self-growth and self-reflection stuff. And so I hope it's not a sense of entitlement or, or kind of I'm a straight white dude, so the world is mine <laughs> you know, sort of thing. But I do, I do have a, a degree of self-belief. You know, um, on my emails, I have a little sign-off line that people like, which is you're awesome and you're doing great. Yeah, I love that. And, yeah. I, and, I, and I believe that about me. You know, I'm like, I think I am awesome and I think I'm doing great. <laughs> and um, that's, that's a really helpful, that's such a helpful thing to have. And I, 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 it's hard to know exactly what to attribute to. I think it's just, it's just wiring and chemistry. Joe, um, I, that's amazing, actually. And forgive me for interrupting, but it's almost like your own little affirmation then when you're sending out emails because you're, yeah. you, you're, you're seeing it yourself every time. Totally, yeah. Like, and so I, I, I have that, um, but I also just um, am, have always been willing to back myself. Mm. Um, and I do it differently as I get older, you know, but... Um, but you know, early on, I'd be like, I'd join a soccer team and I would kind of go, I think I should be the captain of the soccer team. <laughs> like, like I, this is a kind of slightly embarrassing, a tinyly embarrassing story. But, you know, when my, um, when my mum signed me up for Cub Scouts, so I guess I was eight or something, and she dropped me off for the first meeting. And when she picked me up, you know, two hours later, I told her, well, I'm now the sixer. I'm the leader of the sort of small subset of the, of the troop. She's like, well, how did that happen? You've only, this is your first meeting. <laughs> and it was like, well, I, I talked to the guy who was the sixer and I said, look, I've been thinking about scouts for, for quite a few years now. I really think that role should be mine. <laughs> and he was like, oh, okay. <laughs> he handed it over. So I'm like, you know, it's like a little coup d'etat in, in my, my scout group. Um, and I'm, I'm a little more subtle about how I do things now. And I'm interested in what it means to lead 
in that servant leadership style. Yeah. But um, I just, I can't remember what the question was, but um, I, I, I've always, you know, when I find myself in a situation, I'm like, okay, this is interesting. How do we go? Where do we go to from here? So when I was kind of a matter of necessity, started a box of crayons, I'm like, okay, don't know how to be an entrepreneur, but I've seen entrepreneurs and I can figure some of this stuff out. Absolutely amazing. And again, even with the scout story, there's a bit of owning your ambition there. Which yeah. is really, like, I, I, I want this. I, I, I'm going for it. And I'm going to speak out loud and, and give myself permission. You know, I mean, I have some talents, but I'm not super, I'm not super talented. Yeah. <laughs> but I do have a good sense of self and I do have a sense of um, ambition to have impact in the world. Um, and that combination, I mean, I appreciate that that combination can be sounds like white male entitlement or at least it can but um i do and, that, and maybe that's true maybe that's exactly what it is but it's really helpful yeah. <laughs> you know and so if uh, if uh, if other people have the lack of kind of going look I'm, I'm okay i'm good i'm awesome and i'm doing great and how do i be ambitious for myself and for the world then i i think that allows people to unlock their greatness but also helps our world be a better place absolutely and you mentioned there as well about this self-belief that you have but you have done the work yourself what does that entail and what does kind of almost how do you look after yourself because doing what you do being you know a great coach as you are offering all of this out being of service to others how do you look after yourself in that and how would you know somebody else who's listening in in terms of how can they look to try and work on that self-belief well, like I say, I do think I do think um, some of it is the luck of the draw, like by the you know kind of genetics and also brain wiring. Um, so, you know, I've got I've got just I just got dealt a bunch of the cards that really help. Um, but I you know I get lucky by things like having a really loving, stable relationship for thirty years. So my wife is absolutely my greatest champion which means she's extremely annoying at times because she's like oh don't do that or you always do this or are you doing that thing again and i'm like shut up but um but i you know i never doubt that she doesn't have my best interests at heart even if i don't always agree with what she's telling me or what she's saying to me so i you know and i'm like it's not it's not very helpful advice to say to people you should marry marcella (laughs) because a i'm already married to her and b she you know she may not be the woman that they're looking for um but uh you know an ability to and i would say this is stuff that's come to me through 30 years of more than that 40 years close to of self-development work because I I think I took my first self-helpy type course when I was 18 17 I would guess and I'm 54 now so that's 40 years nearly of trying to sit with who I am and go who the hell are you Michael and it's like I feel like I've got a sense of the scale of my ambition like how I could what what it means to me to make a difference to the world to try and make it a better place I feel like I've got some principles to live by, you know, and it's, it's the stuff that most people always come back to, which is like around generosity and about kindness and about um, role modeling a certain something. Um, And I, I feel like I, I try and structure my life to give me the best chance to work on stuff that I care about. Um, 
and you know there's a bunch of that that's good luck (laughs) but there's also uh now how do i capitalize on the good luck that i've had how do you work on it absolutely i love Mm -hmm. that you you talk a great deal about it's feedback not failure particularly when we walk through these moments in our life (laughs) so i'm curious to know what's the best bit of feedback you've ever received and how did it impact you uh well um you know i when you when when people listen to somebody like me and they listen to the introduction that you read out which i wrote um you know they'll hear a lot of the achievements i have as a road scholar i've written books that have sold a lot i've founded some companies that have done well um and the reason I had those things at the end, you know, banned from my high school graduation, mm. sued by my law lecturer for defamation. My first piece of writing was, you know, a bad pun, the mail delivery, you know. And I, I, I sound like I want people to know that I have scars and I have struggles and I've stumbled. And, and honestly, most of the struggles and most of the stumbles are so boringly prosaic. And they're not even that interesting. They're like, I tried to launch this and nobody cared. It would be kind of what it boils down to. I'm like, this was a thing. And then it stopped being a thing because it just was costing me money. And I did it really badly. And I was met with a a vast wave of indifference. So, you know, all of that. Um, But, you know, honestly, some of the, the last two jobs that I worked in, I just really struggled to have a good working relationship with, with, my two bosses, you know, one was a guy down in, in Boston and then we moved from Boston to Toronto and I had a job for a brief while and um, I had a woman trying to lead a change project and I was part of her team. And, you know, I just, just w- was thoroughly underwhelming in their eyes. They didn't care. They weren't impressed. <laughs> There's nothing I could do to make it better. <laughs> and uh, that was frustrating for me. And, and, you know, demoralizing, but it was also kind of liberating, which is like, first of all, I'm not going to let this dent my self-esteem. I don't feel like they're better than me. Mm. Um, and I don't feel that this is my failure. I feel this is a failure, um, which of course is part of the reason they didn't like me being part of their team. <laughs> well, I'm like, this isn't just me. This is you as a boss as well. Yeah. Um, and so it gave me, the nudge and I guess permission to, to also start my own thing. Like Michael, it appears that you're unemployable because nobody likes being your boss. Yeah. <laughs> and that's yeah. probably not so much about them. It's probably about who you are. Um, so that was part of the, the series of things that helped me, allowed me to be an entrepreneur. I love that. And what I'm hearing there as well, there's something about the power of thought you chose to say, you know, I, I, they're not better than me. I can do something else. And we can have that narrative rather than, you know, almost being defeated. We can choose how we think about that. It takes yeah. time, you know, d- d- dependent on our life experience and so on. Well, fe- I mean, you know, failure is, it's not failure, it's feedback. Yeah. And then feedback is never p- really personal and it's not even always useful. I mean, when people give you feedback, like oh, 90% of the time, it's them projecting a whole bunch of stuff onto me. So I'm like, all right, well, what's you? I don't want to be arrogant enough to say there's nothing helpful here because there almost always is, but I'm not going to pretend it's the truth. I'm just going to pretend it's one person's perspective on me and the world. So what do I want to take from that? Yeah. 
I love it. I absolutely love that. And talking about <laughs> taking things as inspiration, I love your videos that you post. You're typically oh, out walking. You've got yeah. such an incredible soundbite and nugget of information that you share, a bit of wisdom, great teaching. So I've got two questions for you on this. What's the most perceived unusual thing you've seen or heard that has inspired one of those teachings? And do yeah. you go out specifically uh, to, to share the highlight when you're walking or do you go out to find it? Um, okay, so to take the last thing first, I when I shoot a little walking video and I've got this great little camera that kind of has a, a gimbal in it. So it's a relatively steady cam thing. Oh, okay. And it, yeah. and it shoots at a kind of slightly higher resolution than you, than your iPhone. Um, uh, I, I, I deliberately go out to shoot videos. So I've got a headline and I've got a, a talking point or three that I'm, okay. I'm, I'm filming from. So I'm not just wandering the world and suddenly getting an idea and whipping my camera out of a bag and, and filming it. I'm like, okay, this is me going out to create some, a little video clip or okay. two or three. And then, um, and then one of the things that I am good at, it turns out is making anything a metaphor. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So, so um, I, I, and this is, something I'm, I've, I'm good at. And it's also a learned skill. Like I keep, I keep practicing it. So I keep getting better at it. So, you know, I know people are listening to us on audio, but you and I are watching each other on video. So I can go, all right. So behind Natalie is her NMS coaching time to change um, uh, branding. And it looks like there's an hourglass um, on top of the, the brand there. So I'm like, great. So what would I teach around an hourglass? And then I'd go, well, you know, what's interesting is people always overboil their boiled eggs. So there's like two things that you should know about boiling an egg. The first is the water doesn't have to be boiling. It just needs to have boiled. So when you put your eggs in the water, turn the water up. And when it starts boiling, turn it off. Because that weird gray ring you get around your, your egg yolk, that's from overcooking it. And then it's really helpful to know what the timing is for, for your egg. So is it like eight minutes, in which case it will be um, on the cusp of undercooked. Um, if it's 11 minutes, it's, it's pretty firm, but there's still a kind of juiciness to the yolk. And then 14 minutes, everything's pretty hard baked. So, I then go, so what, how's this a metaphor? What, what does this tell us about stuff? Which is um, everything you do has a slightly underdone and a slightly overdone and a slightly perfectly done moment. <laughs> so when you think about the relationship you're in at the moment, the thing that you're working on right now, is it underdone or is it overdone or is it just about perfect? And what do you need to do with that knowledge right now? So that's just me. That's just me making something up in the moment to kind of show you how my brain works. Which is like, what's the what's the symbol? What's something data-ish around that that I could could connect to it? How do I turn that into a metaphor for what does it mean to live a life? Outstanding. Oh, I mean, if anyone's <laughs> listening to this, if you take anything from this, that was amazing. <laughs> and it just goes to show you. I mean, perhaps I mean you've incredible mind. 
but when we when we allow ourselves <laughs> one to word. see that's one word for it absolutely, like absolutely. A, a peculiar and not fully understandable mind is another way to put it but wherever wherever you want to go with that, go with that. <laughs> but there's something about that we can all when we allow ourselves and again this goes back to giving permission and belief in ourselves when we mm. allow ourselves to look at something and just let our creative mind kick in and just be a little bit freer with it. We can actually yeah. find something, a different meaning, a tangent or a, a metaphor and a learning from absolutely everything. I, I mean, everything can be flipped around. I mean, you know, you go with the, the, the timer again and you go about eggs and then you go, well, look, there's something called the 72 degree egg, which is actually the, what cooks an egg is not the, the time, it's the temperature. And in kind of high-end cooking, actually, if you get the temperature just right, you have a perfectly cooked egg and it can, it can sit there for cooking for 20 minutes and it'll be just as perfect as if it had been there for 12 minutes. So this idea of managing the temperature, which is like, how do you create the perfect environment for the thing that you're trying to, to cook, the thing that you're trying to prepare? So, you know, if Natalie's looking to build the, the reach and impact of her podcast i'm like yeah but what's the perfect environment for your podcast to be able to scale you know what what do you need around you what what are the essential ingredients how long does it need to cook how do you serve it so you know you can kind of go anywhere with it but it just takes a bit of practice to kind of make make the leaps and make the connections absolutely brilliant honestly I love that and it's given me so much food for thought I'm trying to tame down my mind at the moment but after this I'm going to be brain dumping on a page absolutely perfect and apologies to all the all the vegans who are like I don't need eggs this this isn't helpful at all I'm like take take out eggs and replace them with turnips it's the same thing (laughs) what does it mean to roast a turnip because you know when a turnip a turnip is a terrible vegetable until you roast it in which case everything turns to sugar which case it becomes this amazing, delicious vegetable. So what needs some heat applied to it, not to crisp it up, but to make it sweet. Yeah, you can change that to environment. Exactly. So, yeah. you know, you can just go on forever about this stuff. What's the environment you need to change? Yeah, I, I like it. I love it. I love it. Brilliant. Um, now, we talked about it just at the front end of the show. I, I mentioned it in terms of me asking you to come on with the expectation that I might get a no. And you beautifully yeah. talked about a couple of people that you had a similar experience with. So I'm curious to know what, I mean, perhaps it's one of those. What's the biggest thing that you've asked for in your life? thinking about the fact it might be no, and perhaps you got a no, mm. and how did it impact you? Um, well, there's, there's been one very important no in my life. I mean, there's been numerous, actually, but let me tell you this story. Um, if people know me at all, they'll know me for a book called The Coaching Habit, which mm. is sold you know, north of a million copies and is a, 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 a pretty well-regarded book in the world of coaching. Lots of coaches have heard of it or read it or passed it on or whatever, which is amazing. And um, the story in terms of publishing that is I spent five or six years trying to get my publisher in New York, people who published a previous book of mine could do more great work to publish it. And I kept pitching it to them and I kept writing it and they kept turning me down. They kept saying, saying, this isn't, we, you know, keep going, Michael, write another book, write another version of this book. Because we don't like this version. I'm like, God damn it. So I, I literally wrote six or seven pretty much full versions of this book. And they just kept saying no. And 
and I was, I kind of lost my way a bit. I was kind of like trying to come up with different variations and different you know, iterations. And I finally just took time away from it and just went, okay, I think I've got clear on what this book is really about. I think it's, I'm trying to unweird coaching. I'm trying to make coaching feel like an everyday tool that regular people can use, not just coaches. And to do that, I'm like, I'm going to give them a, a number of questions, turned out to be seven, and I'm going to teach them how to make it a behavior change. So I'm like, okay, I've got it. I think I've got them what this book is about. So I went back to them and this time I was like, okay, here's the book I've got. And this is it. This is a take it or leave it pitch because I'm not going to change my idea around this. This is the book. And honestly, Natalie, I was, I was very confident that they would say yes, because my last book had sold 80 or 90,000 copies, which is pretty good for a book. Yeah. And so I'm like, they're going to bet on the author and see where, where the book comes and and they said no i was i was really I, I did not expect that i was taken aback but um you know I, I spent a bit of time licking my wounds around that but um what happened in the end is i went right you know what damn it all i'm gonna this is not, not worth abandoning yeah. um they've made a bad call I'm going to self-publish this book, although my decision was to self-publish it, but as a professional, like how do I make this book in, in a way that nobody would know it was a self-published book? Like I right. want to give all the cues of a book that is professionally produced, but I'm just going to fund it. Right. And, um, you know, that, and that's how the coaching habit came to be. And I found good no partners way. to help me with the design and the editing and all of that sort of stuff. So you know, part of what's amazing about the Coaching Habit book is uh, no, not only has it been a huge success, but because it's self-published, you know, I earn roughly three to four times the amount I would if I'd yeah. gone through through a publisher. So it's also been more lucrative for me, which for is you, right? right? Yeah. And I get this sense of deep, deep moral smugness to the publisher who, <laughs> who turned me down. I'm like, see, I knew this was a good book. I've resisted actually gloating them, you know, actually <laughs> writing an email saying, see, but I've, uh, but I've thought it quite a few times. <laughs> That's good. Do you know what it is? And I said it at the front end as well. It's an incredible book. I've got it. In fact, I mean, we can talk about your books now. I've got three of them. I absolutely love them. And what I love about these two, so the coaching habit and the advice trap is I, yeah. I love actually how all your books look, they look yeah. gorgeous. And we, you know, we eat with our Thanks. eyes and there's something that's appealing to go to them first off and then the content is even even better it's really magic and these two yeah. really sit beautifully together you're Thank you. and in fact the seven questions i've got them up here on my wall i mean honestly oh, I and do you know how many coaches i've spoken to who have laminated <laughs> them put them up have them near them you know, honestly yeah it's quite it's quite a, it's quite a few and it's yes, kind of cool because when I started off as a coach, I had questions stuck around my, my computer screen. Yeah. Like, I want to remember the good, the good questions. The exactly. When you're stuck or yeah. whatever's going on in a moment. Exactly. Because we do have those exactly. moments. You know, you want to. Yeah. But this is your latest book, How to Begin. And again, beautiful That's to right. look at. I love you know, everything about. It starts on the front page. Oh, cool. like literally yeah. on the cover, yeah. on the cover which is yeah. really cool. Yeah, and I love that design. It's, yeah, and it's absolutely beautiful. I, I love everything inside. And I also love the audio because right. it's you doing the audio. And yeah. it's almost like a personal one-to-one -one coaching session. That's right. how it feels with the that's, little jingles as well. That's how it's meant so, to be, yeah, exactly. Is it, brilliant. Okay. Yeah. What got you, what was the inspiration behind this book? Well, I, 
I had written, um, well, first of all, let me say one thing about design. Okay. Because you're like, the design is great and the content is great as well. And for me, when I'm creating, I'm like the design and the content are the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. you you have to create a an experience where people are able to hear or read or see or listen to what what it is that you're you're building. And um so I I have enough of experience of design and being a designer or thinking I am a designer to kind of be really fussy about the yeah visual or audio experience of what I'm creating because I'm like it's it's inseparable mm. from the content you you've got to make you've got to make the medium the message so you, you see that in the book so thanks for acknowledging that um well what made me write how to begin I had written the advice trap and that came out in 2020 and I was not a hundred percent satisfied with it because I I keep going how do I crack behavior change for individuals. It's so hard. But you know, if you're a coach or if you're in organizational development or learning and development, that's kind of what you're trying to do, which is like you're trying to shift people's behavior. I'm like, nobody's nobody's made that as accessible as I would like to try and make it. Um, And it's, you know, it's part because it's very hard. (laughs) We're all very committed to the status quo and it's hard to shift us from the status quo. So I thought I'd try and write. I thought I'd try and write a book that would crack that, crack behavior change. And I, I wrote a draft of something, and I shared it with a few friends. And the universal reaction was, "This is a terrible piece of writing. <laughs> Confusing. It's windy. It's whiny. It's like well, it's it's you know, it's it's basically like a really bad stand-up comedy script. You know, the jokes aren't funny, and all that, and there's no other content. It was, it was bad." But there was, there was a line in it in that first draft that, that somebody pointed out and I thought was a good one as well, which is we unlock our greatness by working yeah. on the hard things. And that's kind Gorgeous. of the emotional heart of the new book, How to Begin, which is like I part of why I do this work is just to try and bring out the best in people, the best mm-hmm. version of who they are. And, you know, that, that's, a, that's a lifetime's journey. <laughs> you know, you're like... Wherever you are right now, there's a there's a next best version of who you are waiting. So how do you get to that next best version? And I thought this this just had resonance this idea of working on hard things. Uh, we unlock our greatness. And then I'm like, so how do you find the hard things? How have I found the hard things? Because I know that when I've had my feet to the fire around stuff that matters to me, but I but I also don't really know how to do them. It's called me forth to be a better version of of who yeah. I want to be. And that kind of took me down this path of trying to find the stuff to work on, which, you know, I've articulated as this idea of a worthy goal, thrilling and important and daunting. And so to my surprise, I found myself writing a book about goals, but it's really a book about claiming ambition for yourself and for the world, which we've already talked about. And it's really a book about how do you unlock your greatness so that we get to see the best of who you are, but the world also gets to, um, experience your contribution yeah and your living example of how the book works as well your process to get there is actually a lived example of how it works right that's right so uh, this is uh, you know in the coaching habit in the advice trap book i'm not really present you you know Mm. i'm present in the voice of the writing but you don't get a sense of who i am 
Um, because, you know, it didn't make sense for me to be the hero of a book about coaching (laughs) because it's like the point of coaching is you make the other (laughs) person the hero. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But with this one, it's like, it's actually helpful for me to be more center stage around this so that I can role model struggle and vulnerability and confusion and messiness, all of which I've experienced as I've tried to figure out my own worthy goals. Um, And so, you know, as a facilitator and a teacher and as and a you know, keynote speaker, I, I live by the mantra, be the strongest signal in the room. So if you want people to be engaged and having fun and, and vulnerable and courageous, be that yourself because people will respond to the strongest signal in the room. And I just wanted to embo- try and embody that in the writing of this book as well. I absolutely love it. I send this to all of my clients as well when they start working oh, thank with me. You. So they, 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 yeah, I really okay. love it. I absolutely love it. And it leads beautifully into um, your, the other part of your work, the conspiracy or your membership, mm-hmm. shall we say, which I am a part of, and I absolutely love your um, partner in crime what, over there. Yeah, is what Ainsley. do you love about it? That's right. What, what, what are you finding powerful? I mean, just for people yeah. to know, yeah, uh, the conspiracy is this, this membership site where it's like a gathering of people who are working on worthy goals, you know, working yeah. on hard things. And it's meant to be a, um, community and structure and encouragement and accountability and some teaching as well to help people stay the path and and do their worthy goals because when you define your worthy goal it's really easy to then find a thousand things to do other than that worthy goal but i'm curious to know because it's a relatively new thing for us what, what what in all of that is landing for you it's really fascinating hearing you talk about that and how we find the excuses and you refer to yourself as being slippery sometimes in the, the videos oh, yeah. before as we very lead up slippery. to it. Genius yeah. expression, really great and very visual. You can see it. And so what I love about it is the accountability. And it's actually that being present around folk who are also working on something very worthy, worthy for themselves mm-hmm. that thrills them, that scares the living daylights out of them, so daunting and is important. Meeting in that regular capacity to actually explore right. what's going on be inspired by who you're with. I mean, certainly that's what's happening in my chapter and the, the, the sequences in, in how we work, they're called chapters. Yeah. Um, it's incredible to listen to others. It's inspiring me. It's helping me pick up on a few things, which perhaps I might've missed if I was on my own. Nice. So there's that nice. accountability team yeah. aspect. It's set out beautifully on the platform. It's, it's so wonderful to navigate. And I know Ainsley's been a lot involved with that in terms yeah, of getting sure. into the system, um, walking through it, having things, exp- you know, different aspects opened out to you, the events, the, um, the, the momentum sessions, the circuit. Yeah. I honestly, I love it all. And it's stopping Thank me you. from being slippery. I, <laughs> exactly. I had, yeah, it, it's totally. Had I not had this, I probably wouldn't be making the progress I am. Albeit at the moment, it's small because this is my first, my first chapter. I see yeah. greater movements going to happen beyond now. Yeah. But it's keeping me accountable to myself because my biggest thing is doubt. Right. And it's helping me stop doubting myself because this right. is, and that's how I'll slip out of it. You know, and, yeah. and it's keeping yeah. me present. I mean, I. I had a mastermind group for 15 years. It all, it, it, it ended badly. It ended about a year and a half ago and it kind of imploded. <laughs> you know that, you know, the scene where like a vampire is exposed to sun for the first time and it just kind of goes <laughs> yeah. into dust. I mean, I'm not saying our, our brain trust was vampiric because there were lots of very, very good years as a group of four or five of us, but it ended badly. Mm. But for 15 years, it had been the source of support in a way that I felt was more 
differently helpful than having a coach. Like having okay. a coach yeah. is, is, a, is a helpful tool often. But for me, I'm better when I'm seen by a collective and okay. held to account by peers and colleagues. Um, whereas the, the coaching thing always has a degree of, um, I'm not sure, high, let's call it hierarchy or imbalance, or it, it often can. And, and also it's very easy for somebody being coached or being the coach to kind of end up in a kind of a rescuer yeah, mode or sometimes in a, in a codependent mode, which is like yeah. the coach is like, don't leave me because you're a client and I need the money. And the client's like, this feels like progress, even though I'm not making as much progress as I could. So sometimes when co coaching can go bad, but this felt to me, like I'm trying to share some of the stuff that's been helpful for me, which is a group of people doing our own work together, but supporting each other as we travel. Yeah. Do you know what? It's a really interesting point you raise because I have had this discussion recently with fellow coaches about that dynamic and ensuring actually when you're working with somebody that you try to keep it as level as possible because you do yeah. want to enable rather than fix the drama triangle. Yeah. We don't want yeah. to be going you know, yeah. down that road and the hero coming in. And, and I, I often use the advice monster, your TED talk, which perhaps we'll quickly talk about too, as a, you know, as a mechanism and a, a way to open that thought up for, mm -hmm. for folk as well. There is something beautiful about the collective mind when you're working with, you know, others together, because right. you can literally pick up. And when you've got a, a lovely, diverse and inclusive group, you, you learn so much more. And that's where the magic right. comes in, I think. And so too. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what, mentioning the TED Talk then. So many things. Yeah. It's one of my favorites. It's absolutely brilliant. It's had millions of views, if I'm right. I would have yeah. to double check. Yeah. It's genius. No, I, think it, I, I think it's closing in. It's closing in on a million and a half views, which is wow. That's yeah, incredible. Exactly. I send it, it to everybody. I use it with Thank clients. You. It's uh, it's really great. It's beautifully. I love how you shown it with the flip chart and the R and the, you know and, and how you go through it. You're great in terms of you know being up on the stage there, but it's a really great message as well. So for, mm. again, for folk there'll be a handful if none who might not have watched it what, what's the general principle in the TED talk and also I'm super yeah. curious to understand how does one go about preparing yourself for doing an event like that yeah so you know TED talk is going to be somewhere between 12 and 17 minutes long and you and and the TED people or the TEDx people they kind of scare the bejesus out of you they're like this is the most <laughs> important speech you'll ever give in your life don't make it don't suck. So you're like, oh God, because you know, I'm I'm pretty experienced at standing up on a stage, but I'm not that experienced at giving a really tight 17 minutes scripted talk. It's like the difference between being funny and being a stand-up comedian. Like a stand-up comedian is you know rehearsed down to the last beat, you know, the yeah. timing of everything because they've polished it. And people who are really good get from not knowing the stuff to knowing that knowing the talk, but kind of having it as a script you're reading in your head. Right. <laughs> but then get into a place where you're like, I know, I know my lines and I know them on my bones so I can perform them naturally. So when you watch that Ted talk, that, that is my script word for word. Right. And I, and I spent four months trying to memorize that and trying to get wow. it to a place where I could, I could perform it in a way that felt uh, natural. And in it, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about, you know, the cost of giving advice and yeah. why it's so hard to stay curious a little bit longer because your advice wants to take control and 
three different advice monsters, save it, tell it and control it. And which one are you? Um, but yeah, the, the process is, is a little arduous. You really got to work, work to get to a place where you know your stuff really well and you can just do it in a way that feels natural rather than overly rehearsed. Yeah, I, I, I love that. And hopefully for folk listening in, there's something powerful about understanding that everybody needs to prepare. Everybody needs to, you know, learn and practice sure. a different thing in order to do it. So there's actually something quite encouraging if anyone was perhaps yeah. doubting themselves that you can take away. <laughs> yeah. We all need to practice and, you know, get perfect and, yeah. and do that stuff. I love it. Absolutely love it. Um, leaning into that and, you know, the advice monster generally in itself, how do how, anyone listening, how do they become a better listener? How do they become more curious what what's the kind of tip that you have there well i think i think it'll be different for different people but um it can sometimes it'll just start with awareness where you start noticing how much you're talking and how much you're, you you jump into interrupt and give advice um because lots of people are pretty good at being interrupting advice givers um some so just so just recognition of that is really powerful for some people it's actually starting to go how good is my advice anyway <laughs> and yeah. am i am i offering this up to make me feel better or to make to actually be of service to that other person mm. so sometimes it's a, a a recognition that the thing the person other is looking for is often not advice yeah. and one one of the simple things you can do is Anytime you feel the need to give advice, just ask, how can I help? Or so what do you want from me around this? Because quite often mm -hmm. they'll go, ah, I just need you to listen to me bitch and moan for a minute or two. <laughs> like, oh, great. I don't, have to, I don't have to solve this problem at all. Um, um, and so often people are really looking for something that sounds like, that sounds hard. How are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> They're looking for empathy, not a solution. For some people, it'll be um, knowing that the body leads the brain. So you like practice, practice the physical stance of listening. Yeah. You know, I know when I want to give advice, I lean forward a bit and I, I get on my tiptoes a little bit and everything gets a little tense. But when I'm listening, I'm a little more back on my sit bones and I'm just, and my hands are a bit more open and I'm just a little more physical. And I kind of like put my body in the physical state of listening and then yeah. my body goes, oh, I'm listening now, rather than, oh, I'm about to give advice now. Absolutely fantastic tips. I love that. I do try the, the three-second pause as well, because, yeah, the want to get in there and perhaps even ask another question can yeah. be too much sometimes. So it's actually just pause yeah. a minute and, yeah. and, you know, slow down. The body positioning is really helpful, actually. Mm. really mm. helpful now i'm very conscious of time but michael and i had a few challenges up front and i know you've got to get off and do something else so i have to I, I i was the only one who had the challenges you've then <laughs> had a challenge with me having challenges but you know, <laughs> like, your point's well made i am um, one more thing for you you might recognize this question what's important to you that we haven't had the opportunity to discuss in this moment I like that or that yeah. you would like that you you don't often get the chance to say what's important that you'd like to close out with Someone I, great said it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know who they, that was, but I like it. Um, well, let me ask you that. Uh, it's like, I'd be curious to know, because um, I know you were looking forward to this call because you said nice things about it at the start, but what, what, 
out of all of it, because some of this you'll have heard before, but what felt interesting or useful for you from the conversation? It was actually hearing your stories and mm-hmm. hearing about you. That's what really for me landed and actually listening to you talk about things that have gone on for you that have informed you, the, the, the setbacks, actually how you know, you still carried on and the perseverance there that, you know, the level of doubt in some places and the, particularly with the book, no, but I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah. And the, the tips that you offered as well, just with the, the, um, the advice monster just then, the TED talk, that, that how preparing for that as well and actually right. having that aura, yeah. I found that really, really, really helpful actually. Yeah. But the whole thing, and most importantly, for me, it's just reaffirmed what an incredible man you are and not wishing just to you know because we're speaking in now but it's it's elevated how I feel this has been really wonderful for me and I'm entirely grateful and My this pleasure. moment's important you know this present moment is really important I must say oh thank you Natalie I, those are very nice words I appreciate that I totally welcome thank you so much for joining me so what's yeah. happening next for you Michael not literally but future and also yeah. how can anybody get in contact with you Well, if you want more of this, then mbs.works is my website and there are newsletters and free courses and bibs and bobs to to get hold of. Um, If you love the sound of my sultry, fake Australian (laughs) accent, then I too have a podcast. It's called Two Pages with MBS and it's uh, brilliant people reading the best two pages from a favorite book and then we talk about it. Um, And if you go to the website, you'll find ways to find me on social media and stuff like that. And I'm, I'm working on a, a new book. So I'm just in the place of self-doubt and loathing around um, writing the new book. But the good thing is I'm Noah, I'm awesome and I'm doing great. So they both coexist at the same time. Fantastic. What a great way to close. And yes, we didn't even get to talk about your podcast, which is great. Highly recommend everyone listen. Thank, Thank you. you so much, Michael. My pleasure, Natalie. And thanks everyone for listening. Take care. Look after yourself. Keep well. You have been listening to Seize the Day with Natalie Miller-Snell. If you've enjoyed this show, please head over to seizetheday.simplecast.com for all of my other shows. If you're interested to hear more about coaching, please visit nmscoaching.co.uk. If you'd like to chew the fat over some of the topics in these podcasts, please come and join me at my Facebook group, Dare to Be You. And I thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening.